the I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Or Mojo runneth over. Mojo 5 You know, I still wake up in the mornings at times wondering how America got to where it is today. How is it that we have become a a country where we make a decision for ourselves that is best for us as individuals somehow puts us in a different class from someone else? We've talked a lot about COVID over the last 19 months, and I know many of you are sick of it just as much as I am, but here we are. And here we are having this debate on the reaction of the coronavirus, the vaccine mandates, the mask mandates. We, we're still having these debates on public health versus individual health. And here we are, putting each other into different classes. If you don't believe me, look no further than our president. Our president said just a few days ago that any first responder, whether it be firemen, policemen, um, EMTs, who refuse to get the vaccine should be fired. And now we have employers across the country that are also saying either get the jab or lose your job. I couldn't imagine 19 months ago. (laughs) Hell, I couldn't have even imagined a year ago during the height of COVID that this was going to be a thing. That we were going to essentially force each other and then shame each other based upon what we feel is the best decision for us as individuals. This isn't about politics, but it's being made to be. And I'll even be the first to say, I've probably made it about politics to some degree. That has never been my intent. My intent has always been to stand up for freedom, to stand up for liberty, to make sure that each individual can make the best decision for themselves and not be forced or shamed into anything that is contrary to what they believe personally is best for themselves, for their families, and for any other loved ones that may be in their lives. Is that so much to ask for? But here we are. And we are still blaming the unvaccinated for all of the coronavirus spikes across the country. And I'm going to get into some of that data here in just a few minutes because it's it's rather interesting. And um, it's not because of the unvaccinated. That's, that's the funny part. Everyone believes, well, if everyone would just get vaccinated, we wouldn't have a coronavirus problem anymore. That's, that's fundamentally not true. 
and the unvaccinated are looking smarter and smarter all of the time. Let me let me let me let me address this. The um, Carnegie Mellon University did a study assessing vaccine hesitancy across educational levels. Do you by chance know which educational level is most hesitant to get the vaccine? I didn't until I, I looked this up and looked at the study, but it's people with a PhD level education or higher. They are the most hesitant to get the vaccine. It then goes on to say those who can't all have been awarded to liberal arts majors. Clearly, scientists who can read the data and assess risk are among the least likely to take the mRNA vaccines. Hmm. I wonder why that is. The claim that there's a pandemic of unvaccinated is therefore patently untrue. And that's that's how the left and our president and our other elected officials are treating this at this point. They are treating this as if this is now not a pandemic of the coronavirus, but a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But it's not really a pandemic among the among the unvaccinated. Rather, it's about class warfare. People who are unvaccinated, oddly enough, if you watch the news, are characterized as unintelligent, selfish, and paranoid. Yeah, that's um, that's class warfare for you because, as I just told you, the most hesitant people to get the vaccine are at a PhD level education. So a retired nurse from California recently said, uh, why, why do the protected need to be protected from the unprotected by forcing the unprotected to use the protection that they did not protect the protected in the first place? And again, I'll get into some of that data here in a second. If the vaccine works to prevent infection, then the unvaccinated, or, or rather the vaccinated really should have nothing to worry about. But if the vaccine does not prevent infection, then the vaccinated remain at some risk and the unvaccinated would be less likely to choose the vaccine that does not work well. And I think, isn't that part of the problem? A lot of people wanted to wait a while to see what was going to happen with this vaccine. They didn't just, oh, there's a vaccine. Let's let's run in line and go and get it. No, no. Some people that actually, you know, critically think through these things are like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have all of these other outlying health issues. And I don't know how my body is going to react to this vaccine. Therefore... I want to know what the long-term effects are. And because I don't know what the long-term effects are, my doctor doesn't really know what's going to happen with this. I don't know that I want to take that risk. Because as far as I can tell, a 99% chance of survival from the coronavirus is pretty good. So why would I want to get the vaccine when I don't know what those long-term effects are? It's it's a valid question. And if, if the vaccine doesn't work and we're seeing 
waning efficacy of the vaccine, especially with the Delta variant going around. If we're seeing the waning effects of the vaccine, why would anyone want to take something that likely isn't going to work all that well for them? Why take that risk? The mRNA vaccine efficacy is very narrow and focused on the original alpha strain. So the alpha strain is where the vaccine probably works the best because it takes that group of spike proteins and it doesn't help against or necessarily protect against the Delta variant because there's likely different spike proteins and a different strain. And so it, it makes the vaccine less effective. And then and then they have the gumption to tell us that because of the efficacy wanes after four to six months, um, we, we need to get booster shots. But wait a minute. There's been a lot of doctors and experts out there that say uh, getting a booster shot is in creating another iteration of the vaccine likely won't help against the new strain. And because of evolution and in pressure on the virus to produce more variants, well, it's going to make booster after booster less and less effective. It's going to be kind of become like the flu shot where it's a crapshoot every year when you get the flu shot because there are so many different variants of the flu out there. That's essentially what is happening or at least what appears to be happening with the coronavirus. But the the, the vast phase three clinical trial of the mRNA vaccine in which Americans are participating mostly out of fear is not going well. It is abundantly clear for anyone advocating for public health that the vaccination program should be stopped. Iceland has stopped giving the Moderna vaccine to anyone, which is a good step in the right direction. Sweden, Denmark, and Finland have banned the Moderna vaccine for anyone under the age of 30. The VAERS, the uh, Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System, showed at the beginning of this week 16,000 deaths, 23,000 disabilities, 10,000 myocarditis, 87,000 urgent care visits, 75,000 hospital stays, and 775,000 total adverse events. The VAERS system is widely known to be underreported with an estimate to 90 to 99% of events going unreported. So, the European system now associates 26,000 deaths in close proximity to the administration of the vaccine. Whistleblower data from the CMS system showed close to 50,000 deaths in the Medicare group shortly after the vaccine. So again, I'm asking, why are we shaming people into getting a vaccine? Why are we not encouraging people? Go talk to your doctor. Ask your doctor. Consult with your doctor. No, no. We have to shame everyone so that we can get back to a normal life. It's absolutely insane. If the vaccine is losing efficacy, 
why why should i t- why should anyone take a booster if sweden norway and other countries are doing better without mandates and vaccines why does our government continue to push them if the mandates and the vaccine work why why do the politicians that push them f- not follow their own rules if boosters could create more variants and potentially greater evolution of the virus, then isn't the vaccine furthering the problem? Isn't the booster furthering the problem? Why would anyone take things, why would anyone take this if it's true or possibly even true? Consult with your doctor. No one, no one has the right to make a healthcare decision for you. No one, except you and anyone that you deem worthy to make the decision for you, like a spouse, a parent, maybe a sibling. You know, depending on on who your next of kin is, if you can't make those decisions, somebody has to, and you should make that on sound medical advice. It's crazy that we are at this point that we were at a point where we are saying get the vaccine or lose your job what about my health what about the potential adverse effects that this vaccine could have on my body if if i have an adverse effect or i i become essentially disabled i am now useless to my family and to my community i am less useful because those that are pushing this are like oh we're 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 a community we have to do what's right for for our neighbors and and we have to we have to support our neighbors and and to support our community and those around us and blah 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 if i do something that is ultimately going to be worse for me in the long run then Again, I become useless to you and I'm not able to support my family, my neighbors, or my community by taking care of myself and making the best medical decisions for myself and for my family. I am therefore protecting and serving my community. But let's get in. Let's get into some data because because this is all anecdotal, right? Because people like to like say, "Well, oh, Pat, you're 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 just talking about anecdotal stuff." Am I? Am I? L- let's get into some data, shall we? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know that the COVID nineteen hospitalization rates rising in the north and they're dropping in the south? I mean, kind of kind of obvious, right? I mean, we who didn't see this coming? We are now getting into cold and flu season. It is getting cooler in those northern states. It remains relatively warm in the southern states still. Um, so the change in weather and um, the, the waning efficacy of the vaccine is likely contributing, or at least a big contributor, two very big contributors, as to why... Cases are rising in the north. Hmm. Should we really, really be surprised by any of it? 
So the COVID-19 hospitalization rates have plummeted in these states. In the last two weeks, and this is according to the Becker's Hospital Review, okay? So Louisiana, hospitalization rates dropped by 41%. South Carolina, hospitalizations rate rates dropped 39%. Florida, 36%. Alabama, 35%. Georgia, 32%. Tennessee, 30%. Mississippi, 30%, and Kentucky, 30%. So hospitalization rates in all of those states have dropped significantly in the last two weeks. Now, let's go to the, the, the opposite end of that spectrum and go up to these northern states that, that they're, they're talking about where the hospitalization rates have risen. New Hampshire has risen by 42%. Michigan, 22%. Colorado, 14%. Vermont, 13%. And Minnesota, by 10%. The COVID-19 case rates. Okay. The case rates have also gone up in a few of those northern states. Vermont has gone up by 26%. New Hampshire it's gone up by 16% and Colorado up by 14%. So interesting story on, on this. These, these northern states tend to be the most heavily vaccinated states in the country. Vermont, for example, is the most vaccinated state in the country. It has over... 70% of the population population fully vaccinated, including 99.99% over the age of 65. Oh, and did I mention 78% are at least partially vaccinated? Yet the coronavirus, the COVID-19 cases are down in the South. They're, they're high in the north where the vaccination rates are some of the highest rates in the country. But yet, they're, they're, they're down in the south? That, that doesn't make any sense. They're not as vaccinated. It's almost like the vaccine doesn't really work for what they're saying it works for. At least not with this Delta variant going around. It doesn't it doesn't appear to work the way that we were told it was going to work. Yet, we keep doing the definition of insanity, where you do the same thing over and over and over and over again, and you're expecting a different outcome. Well, in case you were wondering, the COVID-19 cases are down in the South. Um, Georgia is down by 50%. South Carolina, 43%. Tennessee, 43%. Florida, 43%. Texas, 40%. And Louisiana, 40%. Isn't that rather silly? Isn't that 
How is that possible? How do you how do how do the so-called experts reconcile that data? How does our government justify knowing this data that everyone must get vaccinated, that there there must be a vaccine mandate? How do you justify that based on this data? The simple answer is you can't. You can't. You cannot justify this. But I broke it down for you a little bit more. Cases per 100,000. In the South, 17. In the Northeast, 24. In the West, 25. And in the Midwest, 30. That's cases per 100,000. The national seven-day average four cases as of October 21st, so two days ago, 75,498. As of September 13th, okay, so about a month and seven days ago-ish, well, more like nine days ago now. (sighs) September 13th, 175,822 was the seven-day average. So if if we're going to continue to use the metric, the horrible metric of case numbers, which we shouldn't be using in the first place, what's the justification for a vaccine mandate when we have dropped uh, just over 100,000 cases on a seven-day average in the last month? What's what's the justification on that? I have none. People are going to get sick no matter what we do. So what? And if if it's, if the case numbers are dropping on on the, on the uh, seven day average, what is the justification? I I, I can't. I, I have nothing. I have nothing. And our government shouldn't have anything, but yet <laughs> they're pushing it. Okay, so we agree that the the case numbers have been a bad metric. What about hospitalization rates? So the hospitalizations on a seven-day average, as of October 21st, again, two days ago, was 56,759. As of September 4th, 103,009. So it's dropped by... Give or take, just shy of, of fifty thousand. Give or take, that's how much the hospitalization rates have dropped in the last month, month and a half, actually. Oh, and um, just so you know, the the deaths in terms of the um, seven day average is fifteen th- or one thousand five hundred and nine. That was as of October twenty first. Again. Two days ago. In a country of, what, 329 million people? Pretty low number. Pretty low number. Again, and, and this is what Coppins would say to this. We're not God. We, we, we can't save everyone. Um, and COVID is here to stay. But if we're really going to justify a vaccine mandate, 
don't don't you think first of all we need a vaccine that's actually pretty damn effective to justify that mandate don't you think we need a vaccine where there is little to no adverse effects i mean because there's there's been a lot of people out there and a lot of it goes unreported that have been ad, had adverse effects from getting the COVID-19 vaccine, specifically the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, because those are the mRNA vaccines. The Johnson and Johnson is not Johnson. Johnson has had some adverse effects as well, but doesn't appear to be quite the same way as the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. So again, I ask what's the justification? Shouldn't the numbers, shouldn't the case numbers the hospitalization rates and the deaths be going up to justify the justify a vaccine mandate. Sh- shouldn't shouldn't that be the case? At, at, at the very least, and even then, I I don't know that I would. I don't know if I still could justify it, even if it's not as safe or as effective as they claim it is. So why why are we forcing this on people? Why are we shaming people for choosing not to get the vaccine? What's with all the class warfare? Seems like we need something that works. And it seems like the only thing that works is to let people have their choices. I'll see you right after the break. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. After a long, hard night, I am exhausted. I need something that will stimulate me. That's why I start each day with Ron's sexual chocolate. It really gets me off to work. Find the flavor that stimulates you and gets you off to work at AmericanPrideRoasters.com. Here's important new information from the Diabetes Solution Center for you, a family member, or a loved one suffering with diabetes. If you have lost your provider or if you need a provider for diabetic supplies, you may qualify to receive your diabetic testing supplies now with little or no out-of-pocket cost, regardless of your age. All you need is Medicare or private insurance to be potentially eligible. Call the Diabetes Solution Center right now for details. Just takes a couple of minutes. Our friendly, knowledgeable agents will give you free, no-obligation information, handle all the insurance paperwork, and make sure your supplies are delivered directly to your door for free. Call U.S. Medical Supply 24 hours a day. 800-597-9323. 800-597-9323. 800-597-9323. Call right now. 800-597-9323. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Welcome back to the Pat Oni Show right here on Mojo Five O. I'm your host, Pat Oni. Follow me over on Twitter at the Pat Oni Show. 
Follow me over on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and also over on Locals um, with Andrew Coppins. I am part of the critical thinking community over there. Um, It's just criticalthinking.locals.com. Um, backslash subscribe if you want to become a subscriber just five bucks a month you get to see all of our extra content over there we're also putting up the uh full show the full video of the show over on the critical thinking rumble page um it's rumble.com backslash critical thinking um we are there um we're, we're doing the whole video over there now um and it is for free um because locals changed some of their um, policy guidelines on us in terms of video uploads a month and whatnot. So uh, you can um, find uh, the the full show over on the Rumble page and check that out. You can still become a subscriber on the local page, at Locals page as well. It helps us out, um, helps us to enhance our shows and, and, and whatnot and to be able to keep doing more additional content for each and all of you. Um, also, we are doing, if you've been following us on Twitter, um, we... Both uh, Andrew Coppins and myself do the an NFL pick six, and then we do the Big Ten picks every week as well. Um, and it's just something something fun and non political that we do. Something that each and every one of you can get involved with as well in, in making picks and uh, tweeting at us and, and and letting us know what you think of those picks. Um, I mean, by all means, disagree with us because we're wrong a lot with those predictions um, because, well, things happen in sports, right? So, and speaking of, of sports, speaking of that, um, it is Saturday. Ohio State is not on a bye week this week. They play Indiana today at uh, 7.30 Eastern time. And so, therefore, because Ohio State is playing today, I therefore must do this. Yes, yes, my Saturday tradition when it is Ohio State football season, um, it is something that I I must must do, um, especially to antagonize for all those listeners that are either stooges of the uh, SEC, and I'm just kidding, you know, um, but uh, and also the, the the ones that root for you know that that state that is north of Ohio, um, you know that that state that's actually really part of Canada, that state I refuse to say their name on air or really ever, but um, that is my tradition, so to speak. That being said, if you thought I was done with the coronavirus stuff, I really wish I was. I really do. I, I'm not. I, I, I have more unfortunately because in the first half we talked about all of the stats and all of the reasons why there should never be a vaccine mandate and especially since we have cases and hospitalization rates rising in the north and they're dropping in the south and the northern states especially in the northeast are some of the most highly vaccinated states in the country 
and the vaccine seems to be waning in its efficacy if it was ever effective at all. But, but, the question now becomes what can we expect from our government and more specifically our state legislatures as the Biden administration tries to roll out a vaccine mandate. What can we expect from our states in the months to come? Well, Daniel Horowitz had some great suggestions here. Um, And I don't know that, I think most of our state governments probably don't have the gumption, especially if they are on the the Republican side of the aisle. I don't know that they have the gumption to do most of this. I think some states do, and I think some states are actually trying to get some of this done. But I think most at the end of the day are probably not doing much. And one of those states that's not seemingly doing much is really the state of Utah. And I'll get to that in just a second as well. So what can we expect from state legislatures at, at, and this is, by the way, this is at minimum. Okay. One, Ban all injection mandates. This includes all public and private mandates without exemptions for health care. Iowa's proposed SF-193 is a good blueprint for other states. The bill should include the following provisions. A ban on all discrimination by insurance companies in terms of coverage for those without the shot. A ban on all discrimination for goods and services in the realm of public accommodation. A ban on all discrimination and punitive actions taken against any healthcare provider or patient for opting not to get the shots. Institute a cause or action for citizens to take legal action against those who violate the ban and for anyone injured as a result of getting the shot due to intimidation in the workplace. The state should assume full control of its National Guard and ensure that guardsmen are not subject to the same mandate as the entire federal military. States should offer unemployment benefits for those workers who lose their jobs and create a program to find jobs for them within the states. Two, the right to treat and assess treatment. A ban on state medical licensing board taking action against the physician for prescribing clinically indicated medically necessary appropriate off-label FDA-approved drugs for offering their professional opinion on any aspect of the pandemic or its treatment or for not wearing a mask. All medical licensing board officials should be subject to removal by the legislature. A requirement that all pharmacies will fill prescription of FDA-approved drug used off-label for the virus. Any pharmacist who denies a prescription of a medically necessary drug unless he has a religious conscience objection would face a $500,000 fine or a year in jail. Every insurance company must 
cover COVID-related prescription pursuant of the same rules they use for billing of other prescriptions, as well as coverage of vaccines and remdesivir. A new patient bill of rights hospitalized patients which follow them to to always have one surrogate president in the hospital, allow them to assess FDA-approved drugs off-label prescribed by a doctor at their expense if they agree to assume liability and the right to refuse any hospital-prescribed treatment. Three, the right to medical privacy. Nobody's vaccination status should be recorded without the affirmative consent of the patient. A provision requiring schools to accept religious exemptions for all other vaccine mandates. A ban contact contact tracing for forced quarantine of any individual who has been infected with an actual disease that has been A, proven deadly, and B, not already proliferated through large portions of the population. Four, never again lockdowns and masks. A categorical ban on authority of any state or county official to issue a stay-at-home order or to shut down business carte blanche under the guise of public health. A categorical ban on the authority of any state or local official, including public schools, to forcibly mask people. Provide for a legal cause of action for anyone harmed by such violations. Five. Clip the wings of state and county health departments. All, all state and local health directors must subject to removal by the respective governing legislative authority. Any public health orders issued by the health departments, state or county, are to be regarded as advisory unless they are affirmatively ratified by two-thirds of the governing legislative body. No public health emergency declared by the governor may last longer than 30 days without the support of two-thirds of the legislature. Any declared emergency would trigger an automatic reconvening of the legislature until the declaration has expired. Six, investigate all actions taken by the federal government. Each state should form a temporary COVID committee to hold hearings and audits of all the current actions taken by the federal and respective state governments predicted on a purported scientific premises about the virus, the vaccine, or treatment. Based on the findings and policy found to be out of sync with evidence of safety and efficacy must be terminated and defunded. State legislative health care committees must conduct full investigations of the treatment of patients in hospitals. The scope of investigation should include an audit and analysis of the therapeutics used, the therapeutics rejected, the deviation from standard and established care for patients and respiratory distress, and any allegations of mistreatment or discriminatory actions taken by hospital staff. Every state should pay full audit of every individual who died within 30-day investigative window of taking the shot. Every state should establish its own vaccine adverse event database and encourage rather than discourage doctors to use it. 
All funding currently used for marketing the shots should be redirected toward funding and marketing the monoclonal antibodies and other proven treatments with committee will study. Now, the question is, will state legislatures do this? Again, I think some will. I think some will at least do some of this. Okay? I don't know that enough will. I don't know that any any um, Republican legislature that, that, that is in the majority in their states is going to have the gumption to do much of any of this. I don't. Again, some states will. I think most probably really will not because, and, I, and here's the thing. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope that I am proven wrong on this. I hope Republicans step up and actually do something for a change and actually hold our government accountable for all of this absolute asinine bullcrap mandates. I hope they do. I just have yet to see it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Um, I just, I just don't think that they're going to do any better. And this is, this is by the way, why I'm saying this. Um, because the um, U.S. Department of Labor sent a letter to the Utah Labor Commission. It says, Dear Commissioner Mon, the letter is to inform you that based on the continued evaluations of the Utah State Plan, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is reconsidering its decision granting the Utah State's plan affirmative section 18, otherwise known as the final approval. Accordingly, OSHA will be initiating reconsideration proceedings with a proposal to revoke Utah's final approval during any time any interested person will be given an opportunity to provide OSHA with reasons why the proposed uh, revocation should not be finalized. Utah was granted final approval on July 16, 1985, and as such thereafter, bound by the requirements of being a state, a state plan as set forth in Title 29 of the Code of the Federal Regulations, Section 1902, which provides, once a state plan or modification thereof has been given an affirmative 18 determination, the state is required to maintain a program which will meet the requirements of Section 18 of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, or the OSH Act, and will continue to be at least as effective as the federal program operations in the issues covered in the determination. As the federal program changes and thereby becomes more effective, the state is correspondingly required to adjust its program at a level of which would provide a program for workplace safety and health, which would be at least as effective as the improvements in the federal program. A failure to comply with this requirement may result in the revocation of the affirmative 18 final approval determination and the resumption of federal enforcement and standards authority and in the commencement of proceedings for the withdrawal of approval of the plan or any portion thereof pursuant to 229 CFR Part 1955. As a result of Utah's continued failure to adopt a COVID-19 healthcare emergency temporary standard, the Utah state plan is less effective than the federal program. Uh, 
Moreover, Utah failed to meet any of the required regulatory timeframes with the respect to adoption of OSHA's health care, including failing to notify OSHA of the action it intended to take within 15 days of the promulgation by July 6, uh, 2021 and failing to adopt the healthcare ETS or an uh, at at least as effective alternative within 30 days of promulgation by July 21st of 2021 without providing any reason basis of, for these failures. To date, Utah has not provided any response or maybe, okay, or indication of intent to either adopt the healthcare ETS, at least as effective state standard, OSHA has serious concerns of the United States plan overall ability to maintain an at least effective safety health program. Utah's ongoing failure to adopt the healthcare ETS is continuously placing healthcare workers at risk and they are deprived of at least as effective protections against the grave danger from the hazard workplace exposures of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. And at this time, OSHA concerns about the Utah state plan are serious enough that it believes action is necessary under the OSH Act to ensue workers throughout the state receive workplace protections that are at least as effective as those provided by OSHA. Accordingly, OSHA will be published publishing a federal registered notice announcing its intent to reconsider Utah's final approval status and the reasons supporting its proposal to revoke Utah's final approval. No later than 10 days following the publication of the Federal Register Notice, Utah is required to publish a reasonable notice within the state containing the same information. A docket will will be opened for public comment at which any interested person will be afforded an opportunity to submit comment or whether OSHA should finalize its protection proposed revocation. OSHA will reconsider all will consider all the relevant information that has been submitted before making the final decision on the continuation or revocation of Utah's final approval. If OSHA finalizes a proposed revocation, concurrent federal enforcement and standards authority will be reinstated in Utah. To extent which federal OSHA may be decide to reassert federal enforcement, activities throughout the state will be dependent in part of Utah's response to these proceedings. We very much value the partnership OSHA has with the state plan partners, including Utah, and we would like to continue to work cooperatively on all issues impacting worker safety and health. However, OSHA is taking action at this time due to the obligation under the OSHA Act to ensure that the state plan are at least as effective as the federal program. If you have any questions about this process, please let me know. Thank you. Your your attention is prompt response to this serious matter. Sincerely, James S. Frederick, Acting Assistant Secretary. So, in other words, if I were to sum this up, it is basically comply or else is what OSHA is threatening the state of Utah to do. This is the time because we are being states like this are being backed into a corner. They are going to be backed into a corner by um, the federal government, by 
organizations like OSHA to comply with these federal standards. Now, now is the time to fight like hell. I have no idea if we'll win. I, I, I have no idea. But if we don't fight like hell for this, where's where's the next line that they will cross? This is a time that we need to put them in check. And this is something that I sincerely hope, I sincerely hope that the Utah government, the state government, will, will stand up to the federal government and do something about it. But I have no faith in our governor. Um, and I don't know that I have a ton of faith in our state legislature because a lot of our state legislature tends to fall in line with Governor Cox. Now, most, there are, well, not most, but but rather there are many that would, would not and that would be an active voice against things like this. But the question is, is will they cave? So far, all indicators point to likely yes because traditionally utah is a contact state for for osha so likely yes they they will cave and that's why i don't have a lot of faith in most republican-led state legislatures right now because they don't seem to have the backbone to fight back and that's the sad part about it but now, now before, because I only have a few minutes left, and this has gone by incredibly fast, because I only have a few minutes left, I, I've got to get to, I have an Evan McMullen update. So I've actually reached out to his campaign um, off of Twitter, and because and I've been trolling him on Twitter, asking, you know, hey, come on, for, come on my show for an interview. I have some questions. I'm a potential constituent. I have questions. There are a lot of other people that voted for you in 2016 that also have questions that no longer trust you. And um, he, he he took to the Twitter the other night and he just said, stop scrolling. Team, we're getting close to the end of the month and we're still short of our fundraising goal. If we're going to win this race and fix our broken politics, I need your help. Retweet and spread the word. To which I responded and said, what better way to get fundraising than to get some publicity? I've offered to let you come on my show for an interview with no response from you. Stop begging for money on Twitter and get in front of your potential voters. What do you have to lose? What are you afraid of? I then then went onto his website and I went and I found a, a email for his, his media person. And I emailed said media person saying, hey... I'm on the Mojo Five O Network. I run a radio program. I'm, I want to know if I can uh, um, interview Evan McMullen. We, we have some questions for him. I even I even offered Andrew Coppin show because I'm self aware enough to know I have a weekend show, and if you're going to maximize publicity for for something like this, the better option is to go on a weekday show where you have more viewers and things like that. I'm so I'm aware weekend shows are great. They're just a little bit less with with listenership on the weekends is is the tent what tends to be the trend. It's okay. So if you wanted to come on critical thinking, I've already talked with Andrew about it, and Andrew's all for it. Okay. And so I've offered him both. 
I'm waiting for a response still. So I will let you know what that response is. But he took to the Deseret News. And he he wrote an op-ed explaining why he is running against Mike Lee. He said, more than 150 years ago, my great-grandfather, William Wood Sr., escaped religious persecution by crossing the Atlantic and trekking over the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains to the Valley of the Great Salt Lake, which called the haven for our, of our hopes. Mainly other European and American travelers had passed through the region we now call Utah before. They marveled at the stunning beauty and of its snow-capped peaks and red rock canyons and stark deserts, but they quickly recognized its harsh conditions and moved to more hospital places. But for William and more others, the land offered their greatest chance at freedom, opportunity, and peace. The future of the United States was certain when the first pioneers arrived. Our, our fledging nation was embroiled broiled in a period of internal conflict which accumulated in the civil war surviving let alone thriving here where others didn't dare required cooperation selflessness and dedication to family and community only a commitment to a greater common good would allow them to tame the land and find security and establish vital services in such an isolated place Generations later, Utah is home to millions and is the fastest growing economy in the population in the nation, while income inequality is lowest of any state. Many of our communities are now considered the most prosperous in America. Thousands of people in diverse backgrounds still take refuge in, in Utah from pestilence and conflict, while others come from economic opportunity and community for their families. Meanwhile, our nation is in jeopardy once again, and the problems outside of Utah are increasingly impacted our lives at home. Our two major political parties are more polarized than they've ever been in a century. The extremes now dominate our political and seek to weaponize government power against fellow Americans they consider enemies. These extremes don't represent Utah. They prevent us from governing ourselves. The result of the crisis has never been solved. Forest fires, water shortages, and never-ending pandemic inflation and exploding national debt, the highest cost healthcare, and loss of faith in our elections. Lately, it seems though America is coming apart. If not corrected, it will current its, its current course will lead to greater hardship. Here at home, we have a better way, the Utah way. It's more compassionate, selfless, and independent, and kind of leadership that sticks to principle, yet we find common ground to solve problems. It's how we prosper together in the desert. America needs Utah's leadership. He then goes on to talk about... Um, we we do need extremists. We do not need extremists and dividers, or the self-serving opportunists who haunt the halls of Congress today. We need selfless servants and leaders who unite rather than divide, seek solutions rather than attention, and those who will consistently put interests of Utahns and our country first. That's why I'm running to replace Senator Mike Lee and represent Utah and our values in the United States. I believe that Lee originally went to Washington with good intentions, but he has lost his way. Instead of representing the best Utah, he inflames political tensions and often embodies the worst of Washington's broken politics. He focuses more on dividing people and attention-seeking the obstructionism than 
on finding common ground and solution that serve Utah and the nation. Once a constitutionalist, he assisted Spurry's legal challenges to last to our last election that we now know were part of a larger to overturn Democratic Republic, which included a violent insurrection. Wow, is all I can say. Just wow. You listen to the Pat Only Show right here on Mojo Five O. I will be back Monday with Andrew Coppins on Critical Thinking. Until then, don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And let's go, Brandon. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba.